So I'm particularly interested in what's going on with cancer patients right now. And, th and this one's kind of personal for me. Um, I am a stage four cancer survivor. I survived cancer in 2001. And full disclosure, CTCA actually gave me some naturopathic counseling that really helped me recover from pretty extreme chemotherapy treatments that, that saved my life. And I'm looking at, at COVID-19 and the, the real threat that it represents to uh, all Americans, but, but specifically cancer patients. But compared to what's happening with COVID, we need to keep in mind that, that cancer itself is the number two killer in the world. Can you give us a sense for, for some of those numbers? So to give you some perspective, cancer is the second leading cause of death in the world. Approximately 10 million people, unfortunately, will lose their battle to cancer every single year. In the United States alone, that number is close to 700,000 deaths from cancer. So this is the very definition of a life-threatening illness. It is it is the, the battle of a generation. It is one of the most horrible diseases that, uh, that we are fighting as medical professionals and as humanity. So right now, given, given the unknowns of this virus, it really puts uh, cancer patients in a uniquely risky position. Can you explain why? Yeah, cancer patients are, like other diseases, have a immunocompromised status, which basically means that their immune systems, the, the cells in our body, the system in our body that fights off infection is weakened because of the cancer itself and the way that it works and sometimes can be further weakened by, by the treatments that we have. So cancer patients find themselves having to navigate this difficult question of should they uh, contemplate delaying their care or deferring their care as uh, sort of the, the confusing messages around COVID have, have swirled. Um, so, so cancer patients are in a unique, uh, in a unique position as we navigate this pandemic. Given concerns about um, the risk of exposing immune compromised patients, but also trying to manage the flow of, of COVID patients, a lot of governors and the Surgeon General and a number of hospitals have deemed a lot of uh, cancer therapies elective along with other elective surgeries and procedures. Is that, is that really a smart play given that delayed treatment could make a treatable cancer into a deadly cancer? <clears throat> cancer is the very definition of a life-threatening illness. There are, it is at the top of the list of a very serious life-threatening condition that is also simply one of the most common diseases that, that we face. One in three Americans will be diagnosed with cancer during their lifetime. So yes, we are in this war on COVID, but we cannot turn our backs on the war on cancer. To give you some, some more specifics, every single month, approximately 20,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Every single month, another 11,000 will be diagnosed with colon cancer. So if you just look at the last two months of this COVID pandemic, it's quite possible that 20,000 plus 11,000, so you know, roughly 60,000 patients could have 
had a delay or a miss in their diagnosis of cancer. So we cannot afford to miss those cases. The bedrock of cancer therapy, Matt, has been early treatment, consistent treatment, and complete treatment for the last couple of decades. That is the tried and true way to defeat cancer. What we know for sure is that if we don't treat these cancers, the patients unfortunately will die. So, so much of medicine and public health is really a, a question of, of risk and benefit analysis. It is constantly weighing those things. Sometimes during a crisis, people forget one side of that equation. People only think about the risks as opposed to the benefits. It's a well-documented phenomenon. Uh, you know, policymakers do it, executives do it, doctors do it. It's well chronicled that if a physician <clears throat> is hearing a lot about a certain case or they've, you know, they've got something on their mind, they're more likely to be focused on that rather than, than really thinking about the, the risks and benefits. So, so ultimately, Matt, I think it is very important that cancer patients continue to get their treatment as much as possible. Cancer, there are many things we do in medicine that are elective, that are cosmetic. Cancer is not an elective procedure. The treatment of cancer is a life-saving intervention. It is not something that should be, that should be delayed. And so I think it's very important that uh, the cancer patients continue to uh, be diagnosed, continue their treatment, and continue their surveillance. Now, your, your business is specialized in the sense that you only treat cancer patients. So I, I assume that the protocols in place for immune-compromised cancer patients um, are always particularly rigorous in your hospitals. What does that look like and how does it apply now when the, the threat is even greater? So at CTCA, cancer is the only thing that we focus on and it's all that we focus on. So in with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic, we have a unique position in that we are able to continue to focus only on cancer care and really make sure that we are maintaining the highest of standards and the safest approach to treating cancer. So we've taken a, a, a long list of measures. We've established a, a perimeter. We've reduced visitors. We have a single point of entry to make sure that everyone entering our facility can be, uh, can be screened, can have appropriate uh, uh, masking uh, done have their temperature taken. We've also acquired uh, rapid testing so that we can test patients to ensure that uh, they do not have uh, COVID. So we've taken uh, so many uh, precautions to do this. And what's what's nice about our, our facility is because we're not located in the epicenter sort of downtown portion of a city. We're located just usually outside of the the main uh, urban uh, center, we're we're a little away from you know sort of where where unfortunately the the COVID you know pandemic is is hitting, and so much so that uh, many other hospital CEOs have have uh, called me and said you know we think that's a safer environment. Can we transfer patients to you? Can we free up some capacity 
so we can focus on COVID and you can continue to take care of, of our cancer patients. So we've taken uh, every single precaution to ensure that our patients are, are safe, but at the same time are able to get the, the life-saving therapy that they need. So, so CTCA has actually stepped up and, and, and offered to cancer patients and doctors and hospitals uh, a, a, an alternative uh, opportunity to treat patients. Why, why did you do that? Well, Matt, I think, you know, one of the things that we share is a belief that this is, you know, an amazing country built on a, on a bedrock of principles. And, and I often think, you know, during this crisis about, you know, what is the best for our country? What is the best for our health system? Certainly, what is the best for our patients? There's a quote that uh, has sometimes been misattributed for its author, but there's a quote that I love, which is, America is great because she is good. If America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. I think it's during times like this that leaders of all stripes, from medicine to business to government, need to step up, need to be a part of the solution. So we have an opportunity here where our focus is on cancer. It is what we do. We are one of the best in the world at doing it. And it it was the right thing to do. It was the you know the, to be a part of the solution to reach out to other hospitals and say, you're doing the great work of focusing on caring for COVID. We can help to continue cancer patient care, make sure those patients don't get disrupted, have them transferred to our care. And that can be a win for the patients, a win for those other hospitals, and a win for the healthcare system in general. Frankly, I think that it's a model that I hope sticks around for some time because our healthcare system is just way too fragmented. There's not enough teamwork to really solve the larger grand solutions in healthcare. And I, I think this is this was a great illustration of, of working together to, to solve a bigger problem. So this whole notion of flattening the curve has never been about eradicating the virus. Flattening the curve has been about giving the American healthcare system enough capacity to handle the very sick patients from COVID. And so in order to be a part of that solution, we know that if there was a hospital that was being inundated with, with COVID, they have other patients who need life-saving therapy, cancer patients. And we could be a part of the solution by helping them free up their capacity by taking on the care of their cancer patients. That would free up more of their space so they can take care of the COVID patients. So let, let's put a human face on this. We're, we're talking policy and we're talking infrastructure, but really this is about people, people who are trying to get the treatment that may in fact be the, the difference between life and death. Can you tell me some personal stories? Sure, Matt. During this crisis, I've had the opportunity to talk to dozens of cancer patients myself, in addition to the, uh, you know, the, the hundreds and, and you know, thousand or so patients that we've had the, the pleasure of, of giving care to. I'd like to share a few of those stories with you. Um, there's so many that stand out to me. One is a, is a woman in, in Oklahoma. Her name's Robin Roberson, gave us permission to, to tell her story. She's a public servant in Oklahoma. She was diagnosed with breast cancer 
and she knew that she had a, a history of breast cancer in her family and uh, that her cancer was aggressive. Unfortunately, she was facing, like so many other cancer patients, was facing a delay in her treatment. And so uh, she called uh, and her doctor called Cancer Treatment Centers of America and we were able to get her in very quickly, perform her, um, her double mastectomy surgery and, uh, and get her the care that she needed, um, you know, in a timely and, uh, and comprehensive fashion. So, um, you know, very emotional to, to have a chance to, to get to know so many stories like Robin's. Uh, there's a, another woman who was a 72-year-old grandmother. And I remember meeting, she had uh, survived her cancer once before. She had lost her husband to cancer. And uh, she had come to our hospital in the Chicago area because all of her imaging had shown that she had an, a, a tumor, an aggressive tumor, but her facility that she normally got primary care at uh, was unable to perform uh, the, the biopsy and the surgery. She wasn't willing to wait, and uh, we felt that it was definitely an aggressive type of cancer that should have been treated. So we got her in literally the next day, uh, did the biopsy, and uh, she received the results. It was stage 3A adrenal carcinoma. And uh, she's already uh, getting radiation therapy and hopefully uh, will we'll be on her way to recovery. So these stories are, are so common, Matt, and I, I see a combination of, of things during this, this disruption. I see facilities or doctors that want to be able to provide care, but some sort of monolithic statement is either being misinterpreted or interpreted correctly and patients cannot get in. I'm also seeing patients who are getting confusing messages about delaying their treatment or, or things like that. And then I'm also seeing patients who are not wanting to go to a, uh, you know, a, a location that might be overrun with, with COVID at the moment, and they want to go to a, a cancer specialty hospital. So, so, you know, have really had a chance to, to meet a lot of these patients. Another category are, are patients who are undergoing uh, clinical trials, which is one of the key uh, principles in us defeating cancer. And we've had, uh, a, you know, probably a dozen cancer patients that we've made sure uh, continue on their clinical trials during this period um, because it's it's essential to their, um, you know, to their livelihood. So, um, you know, it's very important that we continue our 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 comprehensive therapy. It's very important that we continue patients on clinical trials. And as critical as the COVID-19 pandemic is, not take our eye off the ball of treating cancer. Those are those are wonderful stories. And I imagine that those stories are going to uh, continue to fulfill themselves in, in ways that I that I hope people start appreciating the really tough trade-offs when we make certain decisions, particularly from the top down. And that's sort of where I want to go with my next question. I've, I've been reading lots of stories about entrepreneurs and community leaders and, and volunteers wanting to step up and fill gaps and solve problems during the COVID-19 crisis, only to run into regulatory barriers and rules and red tape. Are you experiencing that in, in your business as well? 
We are. Before before I get to that, I just, you know, the question you gave me just kind of made me very um, passionate and emotional. I, I just wanted, there's there's two other stories um, <clears throat> that. Uh, well, let's, let's start that over. Yeah. Um, let's well, just keep going with the stories. Yeah, let's do that. There, there's a, there's a woman who um, is halfway into her uh, or battle with cancer, halfway into her, their indoor treatment. And she was going to another facility, frankly, doing um, pretty well. And that facility had told her again, you know, we, we we're treating you early, we're treating you consistently, and we're going to treat you comprehensively. And she was going in to get her IV chemotherapy. And the doctor told her that even though he felt that she should be continuing to get her IV chemotherapy, that the facility, some rule at the facility was not allowing her to get that done. And essentially that there was nothing he can do about it. As you can imagine, she was emotional. She was livid, she was sad. So, you know, we um, we were talking on the phone and we got her in for care, but it's it's stories like that, that, that again, there's not a, a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, in healthcare, when you have so many other life-threatening illnesses, you can't just all of a sudden shut down cancer care or cardiac care or stroke care. I talked to a, uh, a gentleman who is a, a friend of an of a executive that she connected me with, and he was about five weeks into his diagnosis, had the first round of, of treatment, was supposed to go in and get the second, the second you know, kind of uh, round of his therapy. And they, they said they couldn't take him. When could he get in? They weren't sure, likely um, you know, a month from now. And I talked to this guy uh, and you know, he shared his professional story uh, tough guy, and he just he broke down crying, saying, "You know, this is the most scared he's ever been, having to deal with this horrible disease of cancer, getting these confusing messages, and then having been told two weeks early that he needs to get his therapy and get it fast, and all of a sudden now that he should wait." And uh, again, these stories they they make me very um, passionate and compassionate because we have to constantly be about the patient and too often in this uh in our in our healthcare system and certainly during this time we we don't always put the patient first as a as a, as a healthcare system so that's the the principle that we've uh, deployed here at cancer treatment centers of america is always do what's right for the patient and uh and look at each patient individually uh in their care you know, as a survivor, as someone that has sort of a personal mission, as we all do, to make sure that every cancer patient gets the care that they need, this this idea that for reasons outside of your control, you would simply be denied one day, and you can't you can't pin that decision on any specific thing. Uh, those are horrifying stories, but but I I love the fact that that you've come up with solutions, and I think I think it's got to be it's got to be personal. It's yeah. got to be about individuals. It can't just be data on a spreadsheet. That's right. That's right. It can't just be data on a spreadsheet. It can't be a one-size-fits-all. It can't be a big on-button, you know, an on-switch or an off-switch. It really is, you know, so many the, the great doctors 
always think about the risks and benefits. There are times when you don't do procedures. I've had I've had patients in the past who say, Pat, I really want to get this surgery, you know, for something non-cancer related. Say, well, you, you really ought to think about that. There's you know, there's risks of of infection, there's risks of, of of bleeding and things like that. But on the other hand, COVID is an incredibly serious public health issue. It it presents a you know a, a, a risk to, to all of us. But again, cancer is one of the riskiest diseases in the world. It is with certainty going to you know kill patients who have it at some point in the future. And the idea that that patients with heart disease, patients with cancer, uh, patients with these other major leading causes of death uh, would be disrupted um, is, is, is tragic. I think it's unfortunate that in some cases this debate has begun to take the form of lives versus economy. I don't see it that way. I see it really as a debate of lives versus lives. And only then can we really arrive at the at the right solutions, both at the macro level and the micro level, if we think about it as as lives versus lives. So, you know, I think uh, I think that's just a really important thing for us to remember. Uh, as someone that that would be generally skeptical of any one size fits all top down solution to any problem facing humanity, I'm seeing really interesting stories of entrepreneurs and individuals and volunteers and and people in their community stepping up to solve new problems that have been created not just by COVID but by top-down mandates. And they, they run into red tape and they run into rules that sort of prohibit problem solving. I assume you guys are running into some of that as well. We are. You know, in, in times of great crisis, you need tremendous innovation, right? And if you stifle that innovation, you really stifle the ability to get solutions. So, you know, to give you a few few examples that we've seen, um, you know, just in, in some, some basic areas of, of too much uh, red tape, we had, again, we, we are the only national cancer provider, we're the only national cancer provider in the nation. We're taking care of the sickest of the sick, patients who need to come in and, and be cared for. And we, like so many other hospitals, were trying to acquire uh, personal protective equipment, basic things like gloves and masks. And one of the issues that we ran into was we had a shipment of what's called KN95 masks that were coming in, we'd ordered approximately 30,000 of them to uh, to protect our doctors, to protect our nurses. And two days before we were supposed to get them, uh, and this happened to other many other hospitals too, the FDA said, well, we're gonna put a pause on, on, on those. We're, we're, you, you can't use those right now. And uh, so we frantically searched, we tried to acquire other masks, we literally had to pay a 500% markup. Uh, we were watching the price of masks change by the hour to acquire these. Two weeks later, uh, the FDA had said, actually, you know what, these masks are okay. During this entire time, we'd gone to the CDC website, which had continued to say that these masks were, were appropriate. In fact, the FDA notice had pointed us to that CDC website. So, 
So that, as you can imagine, for us and other hospital CEOs was was incredibly frustrating. Uh, another category um, of of bureaucratic uh, red tape has been in the um, in the technology and, and telehealth arena. Um, thankfully, some of this has been alleviated, but but early on, the traditional telehealth rules were were draconian. They were uh, you weren't able to deliver telehealth across state lines. Um, you know, which is crazy if you're sitting, you know, 30 miles away on the opposite side of the border, you can't, you can't get a telehealth visit. Uh, you had to, to use very, um, you know, prescriptive uh, types of technologies without being able to do a lot of care. Uh, that's one that I, I think overall during this crisis, we we started to get right, but in the, the early throes of it, um, the telehealth regulations were remarkably uh, restrictive. Um, there are there are other um, just really frustrating issues around um, insurance. I'll give you a couple of these. Is is you know we have this ridiculous patchwork of of patient insurance and and providers, and it's remarkable. There are some quote unquote not for profit insurance companies that receive you know millions in subsidies. And uh, you know, kind of tax, you know, uh, you know, tax benefits that they get as, as nonprofits, but they certainly don't behave as nonprofits. And and we've had patients that are at a network as a part of those plans, needing life-saving cancer therapy, and they were unable to get care with us even during this crisis. And you know, just unbelievable you know, red tape in that scenario, unbelievable lacks, lack of compassion, you know, on the part of, of some of those um, insurance companies. Now, I should say that there are other insurance companies that have been phenomenal, but, uh, there, you know, there's a couple that, uh, that even with their not-for-profit status have, have really pre- prevented or, uh, care and, and been the barriers in care. Um, so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of red tape uh, that, that, we've had to, uh, that we've had to navigate here. So let me, I'm going to ask you about certificate of need. Um, yeah. The, uh, um, you know, so much concern about hospital capacity and and making sure that, that we do flatten the curve to, to so that hospitals are not overwhelmed. But there's this thing called certificate of need that has prevented the expansion of facilities and beds and all of the things that we would need during a crisis. Can you explain that? What, what is the rationale for that? Yeah, as you said before, flattening the curve has really only and always been about getting enough hospital capacity as defined by by beds and ventilators and 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 critical care uh, and other elements of capacity that we can weather the storm, that we can take care of the sickest of the sick um, during this uh, during this pandemic. So fundamentally, if you think of that as a as a capacity problem, it's uh, it's unfortunate when you look at policies or things that have restricted capacity. And so, certificate of need um, uh, policies are, are policies usually at a state level that essentially ask that a provider demonstrate a need for that capacity. Now. 
that obviously is a very tricky thing to do because the the nature of some of these one size fits all policies or, or sort of top down solutions is they're trying to capture a solution at a single point in time. So even if you're right at that particular point in time, as life changes, which it always does, you can be wrong with that policy a week later, a month later, a year later. So even if it was true that you don't need a certain type of capacity in the year 2017, well, how do you know you won't need it in the year 2020, right? And so, so some of these, uh, you know, programs or, or policies are, um, I, I think they're they're well intentioned, but they're not well thought out, and particularly the um, the unintended consequences, many of which we're seeing now, are um, are are hugely, you know, relevant here. So, uh, to give you another example. You know, for a for a healthcare system that spends you know three and a half trillion dollars uh, a year in in the United States, you know, for us to not be able to have you know protective equipment for for our doctors and nurses, to not be able to have enough capacity to care for citizens in the greatest country on the planet is uh, is tragic and is indicative of many of the. Uh, Kind of perverse incentives in healthcare, uh, the lack of transparency, uh, just the, um, the you know some of the red tape that we talked about earlier. Okay, Pat, I really appreciate you taking time with me, and I, I know this is a particularly stressful time, and and you guys got a lot going on, uh, but but thanks for stepping up. Thank you again. I uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm I'm really um, it's a pleasure to talk to you personally, given your own battle with cancer. Um, you know, and despite your expertise and in all these areas, uh, you you get it. You know, I can tell by your questions. It is um, it's something just very very passionate to me. Is that we we forget at the end of the day that there is a human being. That these are not just statistics. This is a a mother, a father, a son, a daughter that is that is dealing with. Uh, one of the scariest, one of the most horrible diseases that humankind has ever known. And uh, and so um, thank you for um, for what you're doing here and and getting the message out. And uh, I, I hope you're I hope you're well. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.